So the Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, which is on page 933 of the Church Bibles. Um, Before I read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Easter. Thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead and um, you've given us hope and and joy. Um, Help us to listen and learn through the reading and through the preaching of your word and also be with Jonathan. Um, And uh, yeah, be transforming our lives, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8, and 12 to 19. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Now verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonathan and I one of the ministers here at, at CSAC. In one of his uh, sketches, Gan Elmaleh, uh, one of the most famous French comedians, reminds us that life begins with problems. This is what he says in one of his uh, famous sketches. Look at how you start in life. When you're a kid, your life begins with exercises, which are called Problems. The teachers enter the class. Come on, kids, take out your notebooks. We're going to start the problems. The kid goes home. His father says to him, Kid, what did you do today at school? The kid answers, Problems. What about you, Dad? What happened to that work? Problems. In fact, everyone has problems, don't they? IT problems, financial problems, family problems, problems with your neighbors, problems with your car, problems with your boss, problems with your staff, problems with your children, physical or psychological emotional problems. And one day, uh, Johnny Erickson Tada, had a very big problem. 
as she was spending a beautiful summer day swimming in a bay with her sister in the northeast of the U.S., Johnny dived into shallow water and rose back to the surface, paralyzed. She hit her head onto the riverbed. From that moment, Johnny knew, she knew, that her life would never be the same, ever again. A doctor told her that she would be paralyzed for the rest of her life. But Johnny refused to live like this and attempted to end her life emotionally and, and spiritually. She hated her paralysis so much that she would drive an electric wheelchair into walls and found what she calls dark companions who help her to drown her sorrows into alcohol. She basically wanted to die and disappear. In a world where accidents happen, in a world where um, diseases like cancer, Alzheimer, destroy us, might destroy you one day, physically, psychologically, in a world where all this stuff can snatch us from the ones we love so much. How can we, how can we find the strength to live? How? How do you find the strength to live? If, for, if you're going through these things yourself today, how? Imagine two, two prisoners during World War II. The first one knows that his wife and children are dead. And that even if he's free today, no one is waiting for him after the war. Now imagine that the second prisoner knows that his wife and children are, are, are still alive. And they can't wait, can't wait to see him again. Which of these two prisoners is more likely to survive, do you think? Which one? The first or the second? The second, yeah, absolutely. Why? He's got hope. This guy's got hope, absolutely. And the situation of these two prisoners is a bit like us today. We live in a world which has been subjected to death and suffering. But the good news, the good news is that we have a living hope. If, if you're a Christian this morning, you have a living hope, thanks to the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's the good news of Easter, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful news? But there's a problem. Again, another problem. The problem is that some Christians living in the Greek city of Corinth in the first century don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in the re resurrection of the body. Look at verse 12 with me again. That's why Paul writes to them in, in this letter. Verse 12. Some say that there is no resurrection of the dead. Some say that there is no 
resurrection of the dead. And you see, it is to this objection, the denial of, of a physical resurrection that Paul is answering in his first letter, and especially in chapter 15, where he demonstrates the certainty, the assurance of the resurrection of the dead on the basis of the resurrection of, of Christ. Do, 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 do you get it? If dead people rise again, Paul says, if dead people rise again, it is because it is because Christ rose again. It is because Christ is risen. And it's the wonderful hope we can have, you, you can have, if you put your trust in him this morning. That's the wonderful hope of Easter. Do you have this hope? Do you have it? The good news is that anyone, whoever you are, whatever you've done in your life, anyone can have this hope, the hope of a resurrection because of two things. And that's what I'd like to see with you this morning. We, we are going to see that we can have the hope of a resurrection because one, the resurrection of Christ is a reality, verse 1 to 8. And secondly, the resurrection has repercussions, consequences, verse 12 to 19. Are you ready? First of all, we can have a hope of a resurrection because the resurrection is a reality, verse 1 to 8. Look at verse uh, 3 and 4 again with me. This is what Paul says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In other words, the gospel Paul is talking about is verse 1. is a biblical and historical event because... Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures because Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Do you see how Paul is saying that the resurrection of Christ is not only a biblical event but also a historical event in these verses? I think in this verse Paul refers to the scriptures as, as the Old Testament. Do you know the, the first part of the Bible where God makes promises to his people? And in one of his books, we can read that the Messiah, the, the promised king, will come as a suffering servant who will die for the sins of his people. Does that ring a bell? Isaiah chapter 50, uh, 53 Verse 4 to 5, uh, a prophet who lived uh, eight centuries before Christ. But now the question is, where can we read in the Old Testament that the Messiah, the suffering servant, will rise again? Where? Paul says that Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Where in the New Testament or in the Old Testament can we read that the Messiah will come back to life? Any idea? Well, maybe to another section of Isaiah 53, telling us that the suffering servant will prolong his days and see the light of life. That's Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11. 
So you see, the, the death and resurrection of Christ are biblical realities in the sense that these two events were promised to us in the Old Testament, but accomplished in the New Testament, in time and space, in the history of our world, in first century Jerusalem. Jesus died, which day of the week? On a Friday, thank you everyone, under Pontius Pilate, uh, the Roman governor of Judea at the time, which is confirmed by several historians, and one of whom is, is uh, Tacitus, who wrote that Jesus was condemned under the reign of Tiberius, uh, the Roman emperor at the time, by the prosecutor Pontius Pilate. And after dying and being buried, Christ rose again on the third day, which is which day? A Sunday, well done. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's today. That's why we meet on a Sunday, because Christ was risen on a Sunday. So you see, I, I really hope you, you, you see that the death and resurrection of Christ are not fables or legends like, I don't know, Peter Pan or uh, Robin Hood, but realities, historical realities, confirmed by burial in a tomb, the burial of a body in a tomb, and hundreds of people seeing Christ's reason, hundreds of appearances to people, most of whom were still alive at the time, verse 6. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Why do you think Paul includes that detail in verse 6? Why does he say most of his guys who saw Christ risen, you know what, they are, they are still alive. Why would he say that? What do you think? I think he wants to show us that the resurrection is a historical event. Those who were still alive at the time when Paul is writing his letter could have been questioned to confirm or refute what he says. You don't believe me, says Paul, go and ask them. They are still alive, they can tell you. So first, we can have, you can have the hope of a resurrection because the resurrection is a reality, a biblical reality, but also a historical reality. But secondly, secondly, my second and last point, we can have the hope of a resurrection because the resurrection has repercussions, consequences, verse 12 to 19. And I guess this section could be called the if Section. Have you, have you noticed this little word if? How many times is being, it's being repeated? Look at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. Look at verse 13. And if there is no resurrection of the dead. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised. Verse 15. For if the dead are not raised. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised. Verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. I mean, what is Paul doing here? What is he doing? What does he want to tell us? I think he wants to tell us that the resurrection has repercussions, concrete repercussions, consequences, which can ch change your life. If the gospel is talking about is true, if Christ isn't risen, sorry, if the gospel is not true, what Paul says, if Christ is not risen, 
the preaching of the gospel is basically useless. Paul, Peter, who else? John, James, they wasted their time when they wrote the New Testament. It's a waste of time. But if, if Christ isn't risen, there's more. These men are also liars or false witnesses. That's verse 15, which would be, when you think about it, in complete contradiction with the teaching of Christ himself, wouldn't it? With the one who they believed in and were ready to, to die for. Would, would you be ready to, to, to die for, for, for what you know is a lie? But that's not all. If Christ is not risen, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, remember? Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is, yeah, meaningless. It's not only the preaching of the gospel of the apostle which is useless, but the faith of the Corinthians. My faith and your faith, if you're a Christian today, Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Why? Because the object of our faith never existed. You see, what validates your faith? If you believe in Christ this morning, what validates it? Is not faith in self, but the historical truth of his object. Let me give you two examples. It's a bit like sitting on a chair. You've done that this morning when you, when, when you came in. What made your faith work in this chair? Is the solidity of a chair. It's because you know, you know that this chair is solid and it will basically be able to, yeah, to help you, help you, help you sit. You, you've got faith in this chair to help you sit on the chair you are sitting on right now, actually. You see, what validates our faith is not faith itself. It, it's the objective reality the solidity of his object. And in that case, the chair, the chair is the object of your faith. Do, do, do you understand what I mean? Let me give you another example given by Don Carson, who is a, a biblical scholar, uh, Canadian-born. This is the example he gives. Imagine that modern historians come to prove that Krishna, Krishna never existed. Would the credibility of Hinduism be questioned? Let's think about it for a second. Imagine that modern historians come to prove that Krishna never existed. Would the credibility of Hinduism be questioned? What do you think? Yes or no? Well, not really, in fact. Since the credibility of Hinduism doesn't depend on the history city of Krishna, does it? Hindus have millions of gods, and they could keep practicing their religion, Hinduism, by believing in another god, by worshipping Shiva, for example. Do you see what I mean? 
Now imagine, imagine that modern historians come to prove that Christ never existed, which as far as I know, no author or historians of the first and second century or even third has ever claimed. Imagine that modern historians come to prove that Christ never existed. Would the credibility of Christianity be questioned? Yes or no? Well, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, the, 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 we, don't, we don't need to ask the, the question in a way. Because in the Bible, Christ is the ultimate revelation, you see? Could the God of the Bible have entrusted his revelation to someone else than Jesus? Well, according to the Bible, no, because Christ is the revelation. Christ is God himself in person. Do, do you get the point of this example? If Christ never existed, there is no more Christianity. There is just Yanity, which, as far as I know, again, doesn't mean anything. If Christ never existed, never died, and never rose again, not only is your faith completely futile, you came here this morning for nothing, you can go back home. But we are still in our sins. Verse 17. We are therefore most to be pitied. Verse 19. Because we've got absolutely no hope. No hope after death. We are just like this soldier. Remember? This soldier who's got absolutely nothing. Nothing to look forward to after the war. But if Christ did rise again, we are not the most to be pitied, are we? Are we? We are the most to be envied. Envied in a good way. Because the resurrection confirms indeed that the Father accepted the sacrifice of his Son, who died in our place for our sins. If Christ had not been risen, how could we possibly know that his sacrifice was truly efficient, that he did work, that the chair was solid enough, that death has been defeated? How could we possibly know if Christ wasn't risen? There would be no way to know for sure. But if Christ is risen, is risen, and we know he is, we are people most to be envied, envied in a good way. And I wonder, does the world envy you? Think of your friends. Think of your work colleague who might not be Christians. Think of the members of your family who might not be Christians either. Do they even know you're a Christian? Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know what we believe? Do they know the hope you have after death? Think of the way you experience the problems and the hardships you're going through right now and which you may be thinking of because they are bothering you so much. Think of the way you see death. Does the way you live your life testify that you're different, that you've got something more, something special, something good, something different to be envied in a good way. For instance, what can you say to a friend who shares with you that he's seriously ill and that someone or that someone he knows is seriously ill? What, what do you say to that person? What can you say? 
Do you have hope after death? Does the person you know have a hope? You see, this kind of question can give us an opportunity to share our faith, especially with those who suffer and who might be about to die. One day, as he was dying of cancer, a a famous pastor in England told this to his friends. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. In 1945, just before being executed by by the Nazis, as he felt death approaching, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the most prominent uh, theologians of the 20th century, said this. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. And I wonder, would that be your testimony when you feel death approaching? If you are put to trust in the death and resurrection of Christ, you can have the assurance that death is not the end, but the beginning of life. And if you haven't put your trust in Christ yet, what stops you from doing it now, today, on Easter Day? Wouldn't that be amazing? Or why don't you do Christianity Explored just to examine the claims of Christ? These claims are too enormous to be avoided. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will not die, but will see life. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't it worth being examined at least? Why don't you give it seven weeks of your life? What is seven weeks? What are seven weeks compared to eternity? Why don't you Christianity explore next term? And one day, uh, Johnny decided not to do Christianity explore. Well, I don't think that existed by the time. But she decided to give her life to Christ. After a diving accident, uh, in desperation, Johnny prayed. She prayed. And she asked God to show her how to live in this terrible situation. She didn't want to live in a wheelchair all her life. Do you know what happened? She then met Christians who read the Bible with her and showed her that God sometimes, sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And maybe that's what he's doing in your life right now. Maybe God is allowing what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Why? Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Because he cares about you. So Johnny learned to be thankful, even for very little things. She began to paint, to paint with a brush in her mouth, I can't even paint with my hands. Johnny is able to paint with a mouth beautiful paintings. Isn't that amazing? Do you know what? She started to write books as well. She created an association whose goal is to help disabled people practically in in their everyday life and to share with them the hope of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? And this is her hope in her own words. This is what Johnny says. In one of the books. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, 
and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body. Light, bright, and clothed with righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Dazzling. Can you only imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone with cerebral palsy, brain injured, or with multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope that gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new body, new hearts and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Do you have this hope? Even if you're not a Christian this morning, if you, even if you don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead for whatever reason, I can ask you this question. Wouldn't you like it to be true? Even if you don't believe in the resurrection for whatever reason, whatever reason, wouldn't you want this to be true in a world where suffering and death will destroy us one day? will snatch us from the ones we love. Wouldn't you like Jesus to be, to be risen from the dead? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be a wonderful news which could change your life, the way you experience your suffering right now and see death? Wouldn't you like to have the hope of a resurrection? The hope to be physically resurrected in a new creation where death shall be no more. And there will be no more mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. But if you don't want the res res resurrection of Christ to be true, let me ask you this last question. That will be my final word. Could it be because you know that if Christ is risen indeed, you would have to change the way you live? Because if Christ is truly risen, it changes absolutely Absolutely everything. Let us pray to finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope of a resurrection. We thank you for this wonderful hope we have if we put our trust in the death and the resurrection of Christ for us. And we pray that you would create or renew this hope in us, especially at this time of the year, at Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.